Kathy Zaka. Hi, I'm Susan Offen. And I'm Laura Potter. And we're your hosts today for Pure Truth. We want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for listening. Today we will be talking about unity. And our scripture for today is from Psalm 133, verse 1. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, here we go. Unity is something that the Lord has been speaking to me about for over two decades. He placed a desire in my heart to see the body of Christ unite like never before. I even wrote two books that talk about it. It's something that is constantly in my thoughts, and it resonates deep within me because God has shown me many times how important it is to Him. And we all know if it's important to Him, it should be important to all of us, right? Right. Yes. Well, because the church is God's family, and God wants His family to work together as one, He gave us a lot to talk about on this subject of unity, so we're going to break this up into two episodes. All right. So let's talk about why unity is so important to God. Well, it's because his blessings flow when the body of Christ is in unity. We are stronger when we are in unity. And when we're alone, we are are very vulnerable to temptation and spiritual attack. The enemy knows this, unfortunately, and it's when he strikes the most often. When we are united, it's harder for the enemy to get to one person because there are more of us to stand up to him. Mm -hmm. And where some of us are weak, others are strong, and that benefits us greatly. Right. And Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's what the scripture Lord just read. But it goes on to say, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And there are many benefits to unity that are talked about all throughout the Bible. I'm going to give you a few scriptures here. This one is 2 Corinthians 13.11. It says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 1.27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. John seventeen twenty three, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And here's another one, Ephesians four sixteen, It says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And there are many more verses that talk about unity. It's in God's word for a reason, right? Right. It's just yes. so important for him or to him, you know. And here are some of the benefits of unity. It's for your own personal benefit. Proverbs sixteen seven says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You can't have peace without unity. Unity benefits God's people. Colossians three twelve through fourteen it says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and and forgive one another if any of you has a a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love that. That's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. You know, we are more effective when we are in unity. It gives us strength and it gives us courage. 
It helps us grow in our personal, personal and work life. It leads to greater productivity. Two are better than one. Putting our hearts to, and minds together is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And unity attracts God's favor and anointing. And as I mentioned in Psalm 133 earlier, and Laura too, she, we, we both talked about it. We just did an episode on family a few weeks ago. We talked about why God created relationships for us. This is so we can be in unity with one another. This pleases our Father, and it draws His blessings to us from heaven. And this should be our focus today and every day. Unity as the body of Christ was commanded by Jesus, and He and the Father want only good things for us. And I think that it starts with us being in unity together. That's how you effectively make the changes that need to be made in our world. We must be in unity. It's that simple. Right. It yes. seems that simple, right? But it's really, we, we got to put our hearts and minds together to get where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay, so how many times have you driven through your city and you pass by three or four churches all on the same street? Right. Or you may be new to a city and you're looking for a church to attend and you look up churches and there may be 20 or more churches in your city alone, right? Yes. And depending on the size and the location of your city, you know, there could be a lot. Yeah. Then you do a search for your particular denomination and you have 10 to 15 churches to choose from. At least that's how it is here in the Bible Belt, you know, in Texas. Yeah, you know, I did that too. Moving, when you move to a new area, that's the most frustrating part. Right. Yes. Is finding the right church. Finding a new church. Yes. That you and can make fit it in. Sure, yeah. And you, of course, you're praying about it, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're praying about it. But still, it's overwhelming when you're like, well, that one, maybe I should try that one. Maybe I should try that one. You know, and some people do, they'll go to each one of them. But me, I just want to go and get my, I want to get in my groove and, and it's just a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really there's there's so many being built right now. I yeah. mean, there's Even one on the now. corner across from my house. Like, mm-hmm. there's already churches. Yeah. Yeah. But what hits me is, you know, there's just so many churches on, like, even on the same street. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay. Why can't God's people just get along, right? Right. <laughs> well, can't we what join would the, together? Right. And what would the church look like if we were all just one big happy family? Right, exactly. And there were no denominations, yes. right? Can you imagine the work that could be accomplished here on earth if we were all one church and united as one spirit yes. together? Right. Right. You know, I mean that's the way it's going to be in heaven. Right. Yes. Right? And yes. just think about all the needs in the in the city and that you know people have it would be taken care of by the yeah. church. One heart, one mind. We were all going to be flowing right. and nobody's going to suffer. Right. Right. Gosh, goodness. You know, when I was younger, my dad accepted a call to pastor a church in a suburban area of Chicago. And at that time, I was just about to begin middle school, you know, or junior high. And when my dad accepted the call to preach there, one of the deacon's family invited us to dinner and uh, just to get to know us better. They had a daughter who was the same age as me and we instantly became you know good friends yeah we had so much in common and loved spending you know just about every day together you know after school and we became best friends like we did gymnastics together we took piano lessons together wow i didn't have a piano in my house at that home um we did in our previous home but we didn't have one at this house okay and so when i knew you learned how to play the piano (laughs) i play play by by ear ear, yes i do i didn't know that yeah just it's it's frustrating because i can pick the, the, the song out with my own notes, you know, yeah. just on the piano by myself, faster than I can read the music. Wow. Yeah. I think it's point. just a memorization. Like, I would know where the keys were, and I memorized it, and I had it down. That's why I don't need the sheet music. 
I know it's awesome. crazy. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so we had a lot in common. And, so I, and she had a piano at her house. So I would go to her house to okay. take the lessons, you know. The funny thing is, funny story about that. She read music really well. Yeah. She's very mathematical in her mind. So reading music came really easy for her. Right. And it wasn't for me. And so I would let her do her lesson first. And she'd practice, and I'd watch where she was touching the keys. Oh, and then I would memorize funny. it in my head, yeah. And then I'd sit down, and I'd go, okay. And then I'd pick it all out right? and memorize it. All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's crazy, but yeah. that's what I used to do. And so when the music te- our, our teacher would come in, she goes, Laura, are you looking at the music? Did you memorize this? Yes. <laughs> I'm in the house of shame. <laughs> I'm in the penalty box. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, so my, you know. But really, that's a gift. It I is mean, really, a gift. It is. You know, when you're, of I, course, when you're being taught it, when you're a child, you know, they want you to read the music. Right. 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 But it's a natural talent to just yeah. do it from your head. It is. Your yeah. head, you know. I think it's because I'm a visual learner. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, and I'm also very, like, what's the word for it? You just, you just know, like, you know the tune. Yeah. I always know the tune, but I always forget the words. Yeah. <laughs> My husband drives him crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he always knows the words, and I know the tune, so we're a good t- good that's pair. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, back to the story. Yeah, a few years uh, had gone by, and we were in now, you know, like in high school. And my dad had gotten a really clear vision from God that the church needed to expand its outreach and raise funds to build, you know, an addition onto the church and allow for more educational space. Right. And this this would require families sacrificing money, you know, from their budgets to give over and above your tithes. And it would be probably over a year or two. Right. You know, that they would have to sacrifice that that money. And our church was a relatively small church, you know, which was typical for a Southern Baptist church located in the Chicago area. We were more like a mission. That's and cool. yeah. And uh, when the vision and the proposal was presented to the deacons, there was like an immediate division. Oh, no surprise there. Yeah. You know, it comes to money. Yeah. Right? Right. So some people were on board and ready to, to make the sacrifice for God's kingdom and to be able to reach people and teach more people. But others were firmly against it, saying this was impossible to do because our church could never raise that kind of money and build like that. Wow. And my dad was really strongly convicted that this is what God wanted us to do, and this was how it was supposed to move forward, you know, as a church body. And my dad began, you know, preaching on, you know, what it means to sacrifice our lives, our time, and our resources, you know, for building God's kingdom. And he preached on, you know, the unity that was demonstrated in the early church and how they all came together with one mind, one spirit, and together they were able to accomplish great things. And he preached on faith and how, you know, without it, we can never please God. Right. And there was enough preaching on the subject to help prepare the hearts of the people and get them ready to take their next step of faith. You know, some people just fear change, too. Right. Right. They they want everything to stay the same. Right. Right. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's predictable. This is the way it's always been. We're comfortable with this size of the church. That's typically what we would, you know, experience as we went into churches. It seemed like every church we went to, my dad was called to build. Right. And expand. But what does that sound like? What does it sound like? It sounds like the enemy growth. trying to put a stop right. to God's growth. Yes. Right. And God wants us to grow in right. everything, in every area. Yeah. What was what was Jesus' last command before he went up into heaven? Go and preach the gospel yeah. and expand my kingdom, right. basically. Yes. And that's that's basically what was on my dad's heart. 
a lot for every church. You know, there was always a building program, (laughs) as far as I remember. I think that's why I like being around construction. (laughs) (laughs) I like the smell of wood. Familiar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So they took a vote. Uh, and and the deacons that, that were meeting together, because that's typically how it is in a Southern oh, yeah. Baptist church. There's yeah. always a, a deacons meeting or committees yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's in a lot of churches. Yeah. And finally, when they took this vote, there were more in favor than against for this new building project. But instead of being able to move forward smoothly, rumors and gossip began spreading about my dad and my mom. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. There was backbiting. You know, things were being said that caused, you know, great hurt to my mom and dad in their hearts. Yeah. One of the families that had started, yeah, it is bad. One of the families that had started the greatest amount of gossip was from the parents of my best friend who happened to be passionately opposed, you know, to the whole building by faith idea. And I was no longer, you know, invited over for sleepovers. I was no longer part of, you know, her circle of friends. I had no idea why we couldn't be friends anymore. And that family had stirred up so much gossip that a few other families believed their lies, too. And they all decided to leave the church and take their money elsewhere so that, you know, the vision of the building of the bigger church and all that couldn't even happen, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention, they were all the wealthiest families in the church, right? Oh, goodness. So they left the church, and that's when I was introduced to the term of a church split. Yeah. And that was like the first time I heard it. And we lost a big chunk of our church members and a big chunk of our budget. And I lost my closest friend. Wow. So, but let me finish the rest of the story. The church stayed the course and continued to pray for God to help us move forward in the vision that he gave us. New families joined the church. And in one year's time, think about it, one year's time. That's good. That's really a short period of time for a church like this. In one year's time, we had raised the funds to get the loan and begin the construction of the new addition to the church. The church grew in size and in reputation, and we became a healthy, thriving church. It's like almost like the Lord had to clean house. Yeah. Right? Wow. So that that, we could move forward. Yeah. My dad pastored that church until he was ready to retire. And we we have, you know, we have a lot of fond memories of the people who made up that church and, and who shared our, we shared our lives with them. And I wanted to share this memory with you guys to just, you know, all show you that, that just how the enemy weasels his way into the hearts of yes. good people. Yes, he does. Yeah. And he causes them to become obsessed about money. Right. Obsessed about keeping their hand on the control center of the church. Yes. Which is called manipulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of complying with God's leadership. In this case, they didn't even want, you know, Jesus to take the wheel. They wanted to control the wheel. Yeah. You know. You almost hear that, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) That's a Southern thing. But, you know, most every church has experienced problems like this. You know, divisions, backbiting, gossip, haughty attitudes, jealousy, envy. Absolutely. It's in in every church I've attended. Right. Comparison. Yeah. Right. Right. But how and why does this happen within and among God's people? I mean, of all the groups and organizations, why is it that God's people have the hardest time being of the same mind and heart as our Creator and our God. How can we change and become the unified church that God intended for His people, His family, to be? Yeah, you know, those are great questions, Laura. We struggle. The church really struggles with all those things and so much more. But the enemy, he has no boundaries. He attacks all of God's children. Mm -hmm. And he loves it even more when Christians are in disunity Mm -hmm. because it brings in you know, division, strife, chaos. Right. You know, what's his job? Kill, steal, destroy. 
We need to learn to be aware of it and put a stop to it before it causes any harm. And if you really start thinking about it, I don't think anyone wants it to be this way. You know, who wants to willingly choose the opposite of peace? Right. Yet here we are. This is where we're at. You know, but we could do something about it. Right. Right. You know, when you think about your immediate family and your extended family, how many of you all get along and are always on the same page and see eye to eye on everything? <laughs> I have a perfect family. Of course. <laughs> you know, we just came through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I'm sure you all love spending every minute with all of your relatives. <laughs> I mean, hey, some some people may actually really get along. Yeah, that's you know, great. That's great. With their family and stuff. Yeah. And that's great. But I'm guessing that the majority of families have a lot of issues and arguments that arise, you know, once all the family gets together. Everybody has their opinion. Right. Yes, and personalities. Yep. And the bigger the family, the more conflict takes place. Yes. But why is that? I mean, God created us all unique, you know, in our own ways. But we are all from the same creator, all made from his image for the purposes of, you know, in our time here on earth. Right. My family was relatively big, you know, with five kids plus my parents making the grand total of seven people in our family. (laughs) You know, money was tight. Our house was really small. And we were all spaced out, you know, in our ages. Like, there were three of us girls in my family. And I'm the youngest of the girls. And then I have two younger brothers. So I have two older sisters and two younger brothers. My older sister is six years older than me. And my youngest brother is 12 years younger than me. Wow. I think like 11 and a half. But, you know. Yeah closer to 12. So there was quite a span in our ages in our family. And when we were all getting along and having a great time, you know, together, laughing and joking together, it was great. Right. But typically that didn't last very long. (laughs) Right. You know, each one of us have a unique personality that makes us up who we are. Right. Some of us get along really well while others don't, you know, and there's typically fireworks going off at the end of every one of our conversations. Right. (laughs) I strive, really, I strive for everyone to just get along and have peace. I've always been more of the peacemaker, right? Yeah. Like Susan. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when things I, whenever I see things that I see being done wrong or unjustly, that's when I speak up. And I have a really hard time shutting my mouth and holding my tongue. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. That is so true. Uh, we always joke with Laura and say, tell us how, how you, you really feel. feel. <laughs> you know, she's just very open and honest, and yes. we appreciate and love that about her. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Group hug. Yeah. <laughs> Group hug. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Laura, you asked, why can't we all get along? God warns us that Satan exists and that he is powerful and is actively seeking to destroy us as individuals and to disrupt what we do in the name of Christ. Now, one of the more successful schemes that Satan attempts is to destroy the church. I found some good information from Mike Mazzalongo. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sounds right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's titled, How to Destroy a Growing Church, and it describes some ways Satan attacks. For example, one way, as we both just, you two just said, is to sow division. Yeah. The best way to stop a charging army is to make it begin fighting itself. Mm-hmm. So true. Divide and conquer is a pretty effective way to defeat the forward momentum of any successful enterprise, whether it be a political party, a football team, a business, even a congregation of the Lord's Church. Yeah. Satan uses the same approach no matter the organization, whether it's secular or sacred. Mm-hmm. Satan also uses pride to divide. Yeah. 
Pride moves people to want to honor and prestige for themselves and thus alienating others in the group. Mm-hmm. And that works in a united church, in a united family, right. in a united business, in a united sports team. And I've seen this firsthand in the church, you know, who's, who's what badge is so-and-so wearing, right. you know, mm-hmm. what title do you so have, right. or Satan doesn't change up his strategy. He has nothing new. Right. Right. You know, you've mentioned that several times, Susan, that, and that, that is true. You know, Satan has nothing new. He can't create anything new. He uses his same tricks over and over, and the sad thing is, his tricks still work. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Deceives. Yeah, he deceives, he hurts anything that God creates, and he's definitely full of pride. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Pride creates sensitive feelings that are easily hurt. Pride sees only the mistakes and faults of others without true measure of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If one person in the church is proud, it's not much of a problem. However, it can begin to create a larger infection in the church. Right. Mm. The bigger problem is when several proud people begin to compete for position and power. Then we have polarization, and with polarization comes division, and then with division comes destruction. Okay, wow. Can I ask you to explain for our listeners what polarization means? Yes, it means division into two sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he... You know, Satan uses false accusations to divide. In Revelation 12.10, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, accusing them of their sins night and day before God. Satan will always be there, whispering in our ears and putting thoughts in our minds. Yep. However, Romans 8.1 says, So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. Yes. It's not just because Jesus paid the price for our sins, but also because Christ is continually defending us at the throne of grace against the accusations of the devil. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. We also need to partner with Jesus, taking, take the authority we have been given, and use our spiritual warfare armor to fight against Satan's accusations. I'm sure we can all come up with times we've heard the accuser. I have. For example, I've heard, who do you think you are? You'll never be an able to do that right oh or, yeah right or i'll start fearing what's going to happen because satan plants the thought in my head for example those stinking what ifs yeah mm-hmm. what if you don't finish what if you fail right ladies yeah. yep you know if i had a dollar for every time the enemy has accused me discouraged me made me feel inadequate or not good enough made me fear something or second guess myself i mean really the list could go on and on I'd be a millionaire. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I think everybody would. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, for many years, I dealt with sickness, and that held me back from doing a lot of things I wanted to do for God. And because I was so sick all the time, it built a mindset of fear in me. And I would see myself in the next step that he was calling me to do, but the what ifs, like you're talking about, would pop up in my mind. Yeah. Like, what if I get sick? Yeah. You know? Right. And because I was a very, I'm a very visual person, like I said, I would see myself in situations ahead of time. Right. You ever done that? You imagine, yeah, do it all the you know, the what's going to happen. I'm very visual too, so right? I completely get it, yeah. I mean, that's where worry comes from, right? Yes. Right. So, for example, like a church function would be coming up, and I would think about the people that were going to be there, and I wonder, oh, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be there. 
oh, I don't want to go if so-and-so is going to be there, right? You know, somebody that rubs you wrong. (laughs) I've been there too. (laughs) I mean, seriously, my thoughts could go down a major rabbit hole, you know, uh, of fearful thoughts. Right, right. And then the Lord gave me a dream one time where I was having a conversation with my best friend. And I was explaining to her how I was, like in the dream, I was saying, I'm not able to do certain things. And I would say, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like I was complaining because I can't do stuff of from my situation. Yeah. I was explaining my fears to her in the dream. And then she like took her finger and she pointed it in my face and she said, you get to do this. You get to do that. That's like it was so very strong, yeah. right? And in the dream, when I woke up from it, it was like, my friend represented God. Right. You know, Jesus is our friend, right? Right. right. So she was she was representing God saying, No, you get to do this. Right. You get to do that. That's so good. This Pretty is an powerful. honor. Yeah. And a privilege, right? It yes. was reversing what I was saying, which right. was a curse. Yeah. God was saying, This is a promise. Right. Right. And in the dream, he was showing me that that he puts if he puts something in my path that he wants me to do, that he's called me to do, it's a privilege. It's an honor that I get to serve him, and he's going to provide everything that I need, and it's all going to work out for his glory. You know, if he's called you to do something, he'll equip you to do it. Absolutely. Yes. And he'll provide for all of your needs. That's yes. what he says. Right. In his word. He's so good. Yes, mm-hmm. he does. It's, it's Satan who plants the seeds of accusation. Right. Yeah. He whispers these silly half-truths, gossip through sinful lips of others, and soon we're like people in the world harboring hatred and anger for our fellow Christians in the church, for things they said. Right. Mm-hmm. For things we think that they think. Right. You know? But they may not be thinking that. Right. No. Right. Probably not thinking that. Probably. Right. <laughs> Imagine allowing your emotions to be guided by what we think somebody is thinking. I know. <laughs> but so we do twisted. it. Right. This is not a strong foundation at all. Yeah. Right. In Galatians 5.15, Paul warned us, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. You know, even though the church of Corinth was a dynamic, evolving church who Paul writes this letter to, to address the problems in the Corinthian church because he had received reports of these problems, including jealousy, divisiveness, sexual immorality, and failure to discipline members. Churches today must also address these same problems they're facing. Yes, I so mean, true. It, it just, it was happening back then, right. you know, mm-hmm. like nothing, nothing new, new right? right? Nothing new under the sun. Yep. Fighting broke out among its leaders who lusted after power and honor that comes from leadership. Satan can sow division wherever we allow him place. We can learn a great deal by observing how Paul handled these delicate situations. Paul says in 1 Corinthians verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Yeah. By saying brothers, Paul is emphasizing that all Christians are part of a God's family. Believers share a unity that runs even deeper than that of blood brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And to agree with one another allow for no divisions, and be perfectly united in mind and thought. Right. Does not require everyone to believe exactly the same. Right. There's a difference between having opposing viewpoints and being divisive. Right. So good. A a group of people will not completely agree on every issue. Right. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. But 
they can work together harmoniously if they agree on what truly matters. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, another way Satan can attack is by creating diversions. For example, this article refers to Satan attacking or infecting people with spiritual ADD, which is attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Like in 1 John 2.16 speaks of these diversions, the lust of the flesh, sensual pleasure, both legitimate and illegitimate. The lust of the eyes, the bottomless desire to have more of whatever you fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the pride of life, satisfaction derived from possessing and controlling things. You know, the unsaved person remains unsaved because they are constantly focused on these diversions and not seeking God and his will. Right. In order to create diversion in the church, Satan does some of the following. For example, this article refers to it as majoring in minors, like debating over who's in charge. Oh, that's that's so good. Right? That's so true. Or whose way they will use instead of getting the job done. Right. Mm-hmm. Concern, for example, church maintenance and decor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Betty. <laughs> I know this firsthand. Like, yes. what color the carpet's going to be. Right. Right. It's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> Right. Worry over money if the church can meet the next month's obligations. Yeah. How many seats are filled? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Among many other diversions. Right. And another way Satan can attack the church is when discouragement is piled on. Yeah. People we love get sick or move away. You just said, Kathy, earlier that when you have to move geographically, Mm -hmm. you have to find a new church. You know, marriages fall apart. Church members hurt us. The needs begin to outstrip the resources. A spiritual tiredness sets in. The people we need to lead don't, as well as many other examples. Right. Right. And um, Satan used this tactic on the apostles in the early church. Again, same old tricks. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a different time. Bombarding them with persecution and rejection and isolation from their families and their communities, even their government. Yeah. But they resisted the temptation to give up because they had an abiding hope for a better life and a better place. Lastly, this article describes, it described the greatest danger to the church is worldliness. Our worldliness is constant 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Consumption of the world that bombards us with marketing and advertising. We consume it day and night. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. It points out that the first century danger wasn't worldliness, rather persecution, being killed, dragged off, and thrown in jail. They were burning down churches, making arrests, and carting off church ministers, among others. Mm -hmm. Today, we're distracted with diversions, and it's like we're asleep or in a trance. Yes. I mean, the distractions are too numerous to count. Right. And we've talked about this before, but what you said about us being in a trance or asleep is so true. It's almost like we're hypnotized. Y'all feel that way? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. the enemy is, is the one controlling our thoughts and actions. And God has been trying to wake us up for so long. We're getting there, but it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to deliberately put things away, like your yes. phone, TV. I just turn it off right. so that I can really be in tune with the Lord. Yeah. Because there's so many things that distract. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, years ago, I know it's a different time, but people were getting beaten 
right. for what they believed right. yeah. and going to church. Like yeah. we're worried about, like, as you said, the carpet color or, right. I mean, we're so It's little blessed. petty things, who's you know. Who's charge and who's little. Stuff little, that just doesn't matter. Right. We're, people saying stuff about other people. It's, ugh. We're so fortunate to be able to say and express what we believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. The freedom that we have. Right. Yeah. And even right now, we know that we're that all that's being threatened. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <sighs> even the word devil can be translated as to divide. The devil loves chaos. Ever since his fall from heaven, he seeks to divide the world. Mm-hmm. His first action was to divide the angels, which was followed up by tempting Adam and Eve in the garden, driving a wedge between the first humans and God. Yeah. Division is the devil's playground, and it shouldn't be surprising. The word devil comes from the word, Greek word diabolos, which can be translated as to divide, to separate, or more literally, to throw against. Mm. Wow. Whenever we see division occur in the world, especially division that pits one group in society against another, we can affirm the devil is in some way behind it. He wants us to destroy ourselves and hate hatred against other people is one of the fastest ways we become the authors of our own demise. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's disheartening to hear how much damage our enemy's done. And it's also frustrating to realize that we're the ones that have allowed these things to get as bad as they are. But we need to be talking about it more, you know? We need more people to realize what's been taking place for far too long. We need ice cold water to be dumped on us <laughs> yeah. to wake everyone up. Even though it will be shocking, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the only way we can move forward from the deep, dark pit we've been in. Reality needs to set in so we can do better, put off, or put all of this behind us. And unfortunately, disunity is where we are all at around the world today. I mean, let's face it, we're divided. Our government's divided. Our schools are divided. Our homes are divided. The people are divided. It's a mess. Mm -hmm. But we know who's causing the disunity. It's Satan. He wants to disrupt and destroy anything that resembles unity. United we stand, divided we fall. Right. Well, the enemy wants us to fall, and he wants us to fall hard. Mm-hmm. I found an article on ubahouston.org, and the, the article is titled, Why Unity is Important to the Church Body. And the author, Tony Wolf, he talks about Paul and why Paul was so insistent that the body of Christ be in unity. He, he listed three different reasons. The first is, Unity of the church body testifies to the unity of the Godhead. That's good. Wolf says, one spirit, one Lord, one God, and Father of all. Unity in the body of Christ should testify to the unity of God's eternal three-in-oneness. God is one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are unified in purpose and in essence, as should be mirrored in the church body. When the body of Christ operates in disunity, it plants a false picture of God to the world. My gosh, isn't that where we're, what we're seeing now? Right, right. Yeah, however, churches comprised of members who get past their introspectiveness and submit themselves to the vision and direction of the church body promote a more accurate picture of the Godhead to the world they are called to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second reason is unity of the body, or I'm sorry, unity of the church body testifies to the unity of the gospel message. Unity in the body of Christ should testify to the unity of the gospel message. There is not more than one hope for salvation, which is Jesus. When believers in the church body are divided, it communicates to the world that the message of salvation in Jesus Christ is subject to amendment or discontinuity. Discontinuity. That's a hard word to say. (laughs) The unity of the church body must model the unity of the gospel. No wonder Jesus was so adamant when he prayed, "May, may they be all one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. 
That scripture is from John 17, 21. And our lack of unity as Christians affects the world's understanding of the testimony about Jesus Christ. And the third or final reason unity is so important is unity of the church body affects the church's ability to be productive for the kingdom of God. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Right there. That's so yes. true. Right. Wolf continues. There's one body. Imagine one head, but two bodies. Two bodies who disagree over the direction the head is revealing to go and in which way it is leading them. One body pulling south and the other body pulling north. Yikes. The result's embarrassing, right? Counterproductive, pointless, directionless. Such is the church who's divided. And oh, that's where we're at, you know? Mm-hmm. The head yes. or Jesus Christ reveals direction through the hierarchy of leadership he is called into position. When parts of the body <clears throat> refuse to follow the revealed direction of the head, the result is always catastrophic. Yes. Thank God, Paul says, there are not two bodies, there's only one. The body of Christ must work together to follow the direction of God's instituted leadership. Where the head turns, the body follows. That's the church body. That's, right. Yeah, where the leadership directs, as long as it's not unbiblical, the church body follows. Anything else negatively affects the church's ability to be productive for the kingdom of God. In a church age affected by the cancerous plight of introspective, preference and tradition-driven faith, the body of Christ is in grave danger of misrepresenting misrepresenting God to the world. We must be diligent to keep the spirit of peace that binds us. Otherwise, we risk painting false pictures of the Godhead, the gospel message, and the nature and productiveness of Christ's mission through the church. That's right. Wow. That's some really good information. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, we're struggling. The church is struggling, and it has been for a really long time. It's important for us to understand what unity represents, and it's also important for us to get back to that place of unity. We will not succeed without it. And the good news is God's working on this now. Mm-hmm. He has watched all of the disunity take place for centuries. I mean, this has been going on not just in our lifetime, right, it's right. way before us. And it's been slowly destroying what he created. And he's chosen this remnant, this remnant. We're alive right now. Right now. This remnant to mm-hmm. fight alongside him and his army of angels to bring us back to a place of unity. Guys, it's coming. It's yep. coming. Thank you, Lord, yep. for that. Yep. You know, okay, I'm going to speak for a minute like a photographer oh, here. yes, please. And I'm going to say, okay, each one of us sees the world through a different lens. Right. You know, some of us have dark filters, and we see everything from a darkened perspective, like right. shutting out the light, because we've been, you know, hurt by people right. that we once loved and trusted. And too many hurts and hits in life and too many letdowns cause us to be calloused and shut off to being open with others in how we feel. You know, others have no filters whatsoever, and they just speak their minds about everything without considering the feelings of others. Yeah. I used to be like this. Yeah. You know, but but time and relational experience showed me to try and hold back a bit and, and think before I speak. Yeah. I still sometimes have to hold myself back from speaking everything in my mind, like you guys talked about. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel. Right. <laughs> Hand to the face. Yeah. So some see the world through rose-colored glasses. They think you know, everything's just going to all work out. We see the world continuously in a positive light. Right. And I, I also tend to be like this, too. But I know that it's not just from, you know, having rose-colored glasses. You know what I mean? Like, oh, everything's going to work out. Yeah. It's not that kind. It's It more comes from a confidence in the Lord right. to take me through everything and that I know that things are going to work out according to His perfect will and His timing. Right. That's right. just experience, you know, yeah. from relationship with Him. Yep. 
And I could go on and on and, you know, describe different personality traits and show, you know, how some people are just going to rub you the wrong way, no matter what you do to get along, right? But when we look back at when the church first became, you know, the church in the book of Acts, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that drew them all together. In Acts chapter 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound that came from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud sound, everyone came running in to see, you know, and they were bewildered to hear what, you know, that these people were speaking in their own languages, you know, and they were completely amazed. How can this be? They said, these people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed, and what can this mean, they said to each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. (laughs) And then Peter steps forward, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. After this, Peter preached to the crowd that gathered there about about Jesus and who he was and what he came to do, and the words that he preached deeply convicted their hearts. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, and all who have been called by the Lord Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three people, three people, <laughs> about 3,000 people wow. in all. Yeah, much bigger than three. (laughs) All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And they also shared in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money that that they had with those that were in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship to those who were being saved. So I want to say something right there. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think about this the whole time you're 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 speaking. I'm, I'm thinking about how cool was it for them back then, and they experienced something that's never been done on Earth before. Right, like they got to experience something really cool. Mm-hmm. And right. then and then the Holy Spirit just started telling me that we're fixing to go through something very similar. Mm-hmm. That when things start, when when God's truth, when these things start getting out there, when when that time comes, that this the people here on that are living here on earth, we're going to get to experience something that's never been done before. Right. And there's way more people living here on earth now than there were back then. Right. So that's more true. people are going to get to experience that. And I just think that that's, that is so beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah. are very lucky. We are very blessed. Yeah. We were yes. chosen. Not mm-hmm. even that. God chose us. Right. Ah. Yes. It's, it's exciting. Like, it's like, you know, being at a concert and everybody's got their lighter. Right. It's yeah. And waving be... their, their phones or their lighters <laughs> together. So many lights. Unity. The things mm-hmm. that are, people are just going to be New like, lights. wow, this is so neat. Yeah. I yeah. can't wait. I can't wait. Can't wait, Lord. <laughs> can't wait. So, okay. Here we see what, what I just read. Yeah. We see unity among believers in the most perfect way, right? So how was it achieved? What was the key? The power. You know, that's what I, I pointed right. out was it was the Absolutely. power yeah. and the anointing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, before Pentecost, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the people gathered there at the temple, you know, for religious purposes, right? They went there to worship, to celebrate feasts and festivals, to come together to honor Yahweh. Yeah. But what caused all these people from many different countries at different languages to find unity was the outpouring and the infilling of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Wow. That yes. was the key. Yeah. Yeah. So good. You know, this very subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit taking place today has mm-hmm. caused great division yes. and disunity within God's church. Yes. I think it's really important not to not focus on the things that divide us, but the things that unite us and right. help us be one. Yep. So good. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, and he empowers us to be able to do everything that God calls us to do. Without him, we can do nothing on our own. Right. So the most important thing is to acknowledge him, acknowledge our need for him, and rely on him to direct every decision of our lives, and let him lead us into God's perfect truth, and let that never divide us. Yes. You know, I love so much about what you just said. It's so important for us to not focus on the things that divide us, but mm-hmm. instead focus on the things that unite us, Yeah, right. Right? right? For so long, we've been focusing on the things that divide us, and all it has done is escalated, and we're now even more divided than we've ever been, right? But you know, if we're to change tactics and focus on what unites us, the things that divide us would pale in comparison. We are all humans, and we all want to live in peace and harmony. I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. We want freedom. We want to prosper and enjoy life. So let's focus on those things. Let's let us love one another instead of hating each other. Right. And Susan, you also said the most important thing to do is acknowledge our need for God. 
and rely on him to direct every decision of our lives and let him lead us into his perfect truth and let that never divide us. That's good. God doesn't want us to live in disunity. He also wants us to live in peace and harmony and in freedom. Mm -hmm. We make it so much harder than it needs to be. We can do better, Mm -hmm. but we have to choose it. We have to do it. And then do it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. All right, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Why don't we stop here, and we'll finish up our discussion on unity next week. Yep, and we just want to close with this scripture from John 17, 23. It says, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That's good. All right, today's episode was edited by Caitlin Beck. We are so appreciative for all that you do. And we also mentioned a few articles earlier, so if you would like to check them out, we will put the links in the notes section of this episode. And before you go, we invite you to please leave a written review anywhere you listen to this podcast. The more positive reviews we receive will lead to more listeners that God can reach. Also, please subscribe. We would appreciate it very much. Yeah, and we just want to thank you for listening and allowing us to pour pure truth into you today. We would love to hear from you. So please email us at puretruthpodcast3, that's the number three, at gmail.com. All right, and please visit our websites. Mine is kathyzaka.com. Mine is laurapotter.us. And mine is susanoffin.com. And we hope you'll join us next time. And remember, live thirsty. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may His face shine upon you and give you His peace. Until next time, Susan, Laura, and Kathy. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.